Hi there. Welcome to episode 214 of Rook. The young souls we've lost are not simply numbers. They are our reborn identity. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from Toronto. Salam dostan aziz. Durut The young souls we've lost are not simply numbers. They are the exemplars of a reborn Iranian identity. They are giving us that gift and it is unwavering. Amidst the heartache and horror of watching this bloody regime in Iran spend its expiring final days stealing innocent young lives, is the beauty of learning about who they were, the collective quilt of what we all now know, and the inspiration of how we will never let them go. If you're an Iranian anywhere in the world, you don't need to be told. It's an unstoppable force of synergistic knowledge. It's the development of a new code, a sense of who we are, defined by young people who have raised our bar. And these are images we'll never ever forget. The unmistakable dancing of young Khodanur, the singing of Nika, the personality of Sarina, the flowing locks of Chef Mershad, the dancing of Dear Massa. You see, it's the same reason we chant, say her name, a reminder that we must never lapse into forgetting or forgiving who they have stolen from us. We must honor those kids who have given their souls, but it's much deeper than a name. It's the stories of short but radiant lives lived, of powerful young forces that have inspired us to pause and look in the mirror and follow their lead for change. The spirit of who they were, each innocent young life that this regime has taken but cannot ever really kill, because each one of them is now forming the DNA of a global Iranian will. You know, there's a tendency in troubled parts of the world, as they say, to treat the death counts like a scoreboard at a basketball arena. The Western media will cite the numbers as if statistics in war games, the sum totals meant to shock, the omissions are the names. But that's not happening this time. Not for Iranians. In a gratifying and achingly heartfelt confluence of willpower, passion, social media, and lessons learned from 43 years of repression, the shared stories and hearts of the young we have lost are forming the tapestry of identity for the Iranian community. From Tabriz to Toronto and Mashhad to Madrid, we know their names, we know their beauty, and we know the pride they have given us. We can see their dances, we can hear their voices, we can each go on at length about their individual strength. And while we mourn and cry and scream and wonder why, there is a light they have lit that cannot be extinguished. There is a legacy they have created that will not be dimmed. And so here's a simple reason the regime won't win. Because every time they take another young life, they grow our tapestry of reborn identity. They build our bonds through collective memories. They invigorate our resolve to be an unmistakable, unshakable tree. The young lives we have lost are not simply numbers. They will never be. They are the exemplars of our reborn identity. Coming up on this special edition of Rook, Yasamin Karimi, Mehrdad Ahmadpour, and Dr. Nafise Mutlach, plus our Rook Roundtable. This is Rook, episode 214, The Uprising. The young souls we've lost are our reborn identity. So we are back here in the Rook uh, studio in Toronto, Canada, as we were on Monday after about a week and a half in Istanbul. 
Uh, and I'm joined once again for the Rook Roundtable before we get to our feature guests uh, with our regular Rook on Air team. Uh, actually, this time, Daria and Mami here in the studio. Hello. Hello, Jean-Jean. And Shia. Yes, sir. Hello. How are you? Uh, coming up on this program, psychotherapist and counselor Yasemin Kadimi. Uh, she's always great on this program. And she she's joining us to talk about the psychological implications of this revolution and the news coming out of Iran. You know how we're all toggling. We're like a pendulum between heartbreak and inspiration and back and forth and and unable to sleep and all of that. She has clients all over the world, including in Iran uh, and here uh, of Iranian background and um, has a, a lot of perspective to give us on um, the way we're feeling and why we're feeling this way. So Yas, I mean, Caddy, me coming up, uh, and I'm also curious how she's how she's doing, how she's processing this as yeah. a an Iranian woman who is exiled from Iran or left Iran and is doing the work she does here. Merdad Ahmadpour coming up on the World Cup. Those of you who are regular Rook listeners know that uh, Merdad's been on the show a few times to talk about football. He's a big mm. fan. He's a podcaster. He's a documentarian, uh, and he's talking about the World Cup. So. <sighs> Okay. Oh boy. Yeah. So, th- so this is now less than two weeks away. Mm-hmm. I mean, in any normal universe, we would be super excited. Yes. Uh, yeah. Right. So the, I mean, we're all football fans. I'm. I'm a huge fan. I've got my three countries yeah. ostensibly: Canada, England, and yeah. and Iran. And b- based on the revolution in Iran, and of course all the the horrible news coming out of Iran, and, and the nature of this regime, and Team Meli being a proxy for the regime, mm-hmm. unless they somehow protest or disassociate themselves, all of that is leading to a lot of confusion around yes. what we're supposed to do, yes. how we're supposed to act, how we should feel even about uh, Iran being in the World Cup, which previously would have been no, no brainer. Mm-hmm. Regime, whatever, go to hell. We're going to cheer the team on right. and have a few moments of excitement every few years, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, now Merdad, I, I I think has a pretty strong position on this, which is that um, I mean he doesn't even think the World Cup at all should be in Qatar, you know, for based on human rights violations that have occurred there and uh, anti LGBTQ um, positions in, in, on, in the laws and the government there, and um, and he's he's come on the show before to talk about his discomfort with mm. Iranian football and Team Meli based mm. on you know women not being allowed to be in the stands in Iran, That's all right. kinds of reasons, and now this regime and this revolution. I think uh, I think he's going to have a pretty um, not a very tolerant position about what Team Meli should be doing, mm. and uh, and our our position on that. I, he 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 put up a post saying that he's. He doesn't feel excited at all about this World Cup. I, I'm not sure I'm quite there, so we might end up debating a little bit, but um, it's going to be an interesting yeah. one. It's going to be an interesting conversation, and I really don't know. Do you Do you know what we're supposed no, to do? I mean, it's I, really, I mean, I was hoping they banned Iran, so now we we are we know that, okay, <laughs> right, there is right. no match. To right, watch, right, right. Now it's... You were hoping that FIFA banned Iran. Yes, yeah. yeah. But now, I mean, I really don't know what 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 the yeah. I've been canvassing. Well, I'll say this to Merida, but I've been canvassing friends and family to to try and figure out my own position. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, everyone's having a little trouble with this. Yeah. Had a couple people who I really trust who are quite you know involved in the revolution and stuff. Kind of go, you know, we got to sort of wait and see, like what 
Ali Dai says, you know, or, or what uh, Ali Kadimi says, yeah. and then we kind of, I mean, what they tell us that the best thing to do is, and then we'll all follow, yes. you know, I don't know. What are you thinking? I really don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I'm hopeful that they do something that shows their support, but also I know that there are so many, you know, uh, restrictions that they can't mm. really be political, you know, demonstration or anything. Um, and... Team Melly played today, right? Yeah, they did. And they didn't do anything, but they... They didn't sing the anthem. Some uh, of them didn't sing they, the anthem. Yes, right. it wasn't, yeah, all of them. Two of them, they actually did. So it was, no one was singing. Then there were two of them, they were singing, which was uh, Mehdi Torabi and Vahid Amiri. They were the two that they how sang. Does, uh, how does that go over back in the the change room I wonder oh, yeah, yeah, you know oh god yeah. yeah that's really fucked up yeah. I mean it's it just weird stuff uh, yeah. I, you and know yeah they have their you know hand uh, on each other's shoulders yeah brothers in arms yeah, yeah. not then, so much <laughs> yeah I mean I to, to, to be fair I know there's pro- there's a lot of pressure on these guys but what what does not singing I'll, I'll bring this up with Meritod too but mm. what is not singing uh, the anthem I mean does it really I know it's symbolic, like, you know, I mean, growing up here and watching hockey and soccer here, I mean, mm-hmm. there's different countries playing. There's, uh, they always have a, a national anthem. Half the guys are not singing. They're chewing gum or, you know, it's not, it's not really <laughs> right. that big a deal. I don't know if this is, but I guess when your national team plays, yeah, uh, is it, is it the expectation that all these guys are supposed to sing? Yeah. For, for Iran's team, I really don't remember like the last time that they didn't sing. Right. Uh, I think, yeah, maybe you have to know that, okay, in Iran, this is uh something that they always do and right. it's unusual if so it's a symbolic it. gesture yeah but what actually made me think right now is like <laughs> please don't attack me but mm. there is 11 person there and mm-hmm. two of them they are pro-regime mm-hmm. uh, or not willing to protest so or not willing yeah, to yeah, protest whatever, okay yeah. so that's all I mean it it, it as it, if you if you want to, it's a probably good percentage of Iran, right? Is that it? Yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. That it, it, they represent they represent a, a small percentage of. Small, uh, you know. yeah. Well, I'm, I know you're not wrong. Yeah, you're not I'm, wrong. I'm there. Yeah. There are still people holding out. I mean, there's all the people who are employed by SEPA, right? I mean, yes. I, I guess who knows? Most of them still yeah. support. Yeah, I mean, if they do a referendum, probably this percentage <laughs> would. Um, also, on this show coming up. Uh, uh, an, an interview from uh, Istanbul from a few days ago on the weekend, um, a conversation with documentarian, academic, and journalist Nafise Motlaq. And um, Nafise, I mean, this was a really, really interesting conversation for me. She's yeah. she's experienced. She knows what you, you're nodding because you've, you yeah, did the editing on it, so you know yeah. it, yeah. it's um, She's had a lot of experiences in the field as a journalist. She was a journalist first in Iran, had to leave there in 2004, couldn't do the kind of work she wanted to do. Um, and for, the, for about a decade now has been in Istanbul. And, uh, you know, that perspective, we've talked about it a bit here on the show um, as we've been rolling out these in Istanbul interviews, but uh, of being that close to Iran and, uh, and really seeing this revolution from that proximity, uh, she has a, some really interesting insights, uh, and uh, we'll get to that. Anyway, that's, that, that, that interview coming up before the show is done. You know, I was feeling today, speaking of, I mean, Yasemin Karimi coming up in a few moments, 
the psychotherapist, I was feeling, I, I've, I feel like I've been, it's been a seesaw of a day where my emotions with respect to Iran anyway have been so up and down because I woke up feeling really inspired and I saw some artwork that uh, just so proud of, of so much of the, of what has been created out of this mm-hmm. by Iranians. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just amazing stuff, right? It it's is. just like this fountain of creativity and love and, and inspiration and art. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, so I just, much emotion. So much. And it's just so beautiful. Like, yes. it's like, wow. I mean, beyond the unity and the the sisterhood and the brotherhood and the and the the way people are coming together trying to help each other uh and those of us in the diaspora trying to help those in iran even the act of all of that is so beautiful but the actual artistry and and expression that is coming out will last for generations i mean everything ended tomorrow in whatever way you know positive or dystopian or whatever we we're left with this incredible this this treasure chest of stuff that's been created so i was feeling all you know uh animated and excited about that and then i started thinking about you know the executions and the the new law that they're they're passing or passed or whatever the hell the majlis is doing and the the essay I did on Monday about that and the worth of an Iranian life and I started thinking about this Salman Yassin, this twenty seven year old mm-hmm. rapper that um, and and it, it's just it, you know it it can't help but ruin your day if you go there in your mind and think about what's actually happening in Iran. Um, and I gave some details in the essay, but I mean, go go ahead if you want to talk a bit about Salman, because yeah. uh, I know he was that was something you wanted to talk about today. Yeah, so uh, Salman Yassin, or his name is Salman Sayyidi, known as Salman Yassin. As you said, is a uh, 27 years old Kurdish rapper uh, from Kermanshah. Um, his songs are about poverty, injustice, unemployment, government oppression, you know, the day-to-day life in Iran. And he was arrested. By, by the way, what pretty much, what a, what pretty much any rapper anywhere yeah. is rapping about, other than <laughs> chicks and whatever. I mean, that's basically the, the you know, it's the nature. Yeah, the you're you're representing yeah. the street, whatever. That you're going to talk about poverty. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he was arrested at his home uh, on October second after attending protests in Karaj. And on October 29th, uh, he was sentenced to death in court. Uh, and public court, but without quote any, unquote court, yeah, yeah, yeah. without any fa- family members or lawyers or you know, yeah. just like those courts that uh, Qazi Salavati mm. is running. Um, and yeah, his crime now is muharebe, which is enmity against God right, and right. collusion against the regime. Right. And um, yeah, there is basically that, you went to a protest. Yeah, you yeah, went again. You, uh, you went to a protest, and now you get you are declaring war against God. Yeah. Like how, where. And, and we're going to kill you for that. <laughs> we're going to kill and you apparently for that. God is okay with that part too. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's I mean, I, that, I mean. Unbelievable. So, yeah. I mean, we, uh, we talked about Tumaj, uh, the other uh, a big name rapper that, um, who we don't, still don't have really updates on. We just know no he's updates. detained and we're worried about his situation. But in this case, Salman Yassin has actually been sentenced to death. Yes. Yeah. And, um, oh, you know for the crime of like I, I like how they don't even have a they don't even have a better excuse to, to you know yeah. he he disrespected God I mean it's a 
it's madness. It's it's, it's back to, to stoning someone for what's that? That's what they do to everyone. Like all right. the crimes right, right now is that. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, speaking of which, we uh, Hossein Ranaqi, who is also. Now, I don't think he's sentenced to death, but he's the dissident journalist that they famously captured. Um, tell us the update on him because he's uh, he's doing he's in the middle of a hunger strike. Right. So, uh, just to give a little background of Hossein Ronari, uh, he's a uh, blogger, uh, human rights activist. Um, so yeah, like he he was first uh, he was arrested in two thousand and nine for providing proxies and VPNs, and that was his crime. And he was imprisoned for five years for that. And now, uh, so to the, to, just to, to explain what that means to everybody, when people have trouble getting internet access in Iran, they use VPNs. So he helped people get some access, access, and that's a five-year jail term. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, right now, he has been on uh, hunger strike for forty-six days. Forty-six days, and he's in risk of kidney failure, uh, suffering from high blood pressure, and his body is basically failing, and despite his critical condition, they refused to send him to hospital to get proper. Yeah, today actually he could speak to his sister for two minutes and uh, his sister, like a couple hours ago, he's, she said that he's like close to death. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Just to, as, a, as a sidebar, this is why I'm sure this revolution will succeed. Mm. Not not because God forbid um, Hossein Renati or or Salman Yassin might die and they may, um, but because there's just so much going on, mm -hmm. there's so many acts of defiance mm -hmm. against you know mm -hmm. people are so fed up and e any one of these would have been a major story you know yes. but you, we can't we literally as we do these shows I I can't keep up with uh, I, I feel like. There's so many acts of unwitting it, uh, omission yeah. where I'm not. We're not mentioning all kinds of things that are going on, let alone the names of the and, and, and personalities and lives of the people that they've been killing. But but how how can they possibly keep a lid yes. on all of this? Right. You know, short of killing the entire country. You yeah. know, and those of us in the diaspora. We won't die, uh, you know, until we're we're rid of this regime too. I, you know? I was just thinking they wouldn't hate that to just like get yeah, rid of everybody. Get rid of everybody. Yeah, and interestingly, none of them took uh, like actual weapon and go like against this regime. They, no, they yeah. use pen as their weapon, yeah. and they yeah. they sentenced. Guess what death. I'm saying? They can't even come up with an excuse like the guy took a you know yeah. a knife to a police officer <laughs> yes. or something. I mean, it's it's. It's he's a blogger, <laughs> you know. He provided VPNs. Uh, he's a rapper who went to a protest. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's unbelievable yeah. stuff. Now, in the midst of all this, I mean, I guess the hunger strike is a form of defiance. Uh, um, it, it uh, it's so hard thinking about that. But there are acts of defiance that are happening. There's the in in profound ways in. Um, some sort of collective ways. There's the Iranian water polo team that uh, uh, yeah. refused to sing the national yes. anthem, and then the the guy who scored the goal and yeah, yeah. and did the symbolic yeah. cutting of the hair. Yes. Um, but I really wanted to talk about Tarane Ali, Ali Dusti because, mm. um, as most people who are listening to this would know now, not only is she a superstar, but she spectacularly came out yesterday. 
with a, an Instagram post without a hijab yes. and a sign saying "Women, Life, Freedom," and mm-hmm. it is such a profound act of courage. This person is in Iran. Yes, she's inside Iran, and she's maybe one of the best known oh, yeah. oh, actresses yeah. in the country. Yes, by by easily. Uh, I mean, you know, I, the first thing I thought was oh, I, I was in Turkey last week and there were people saying, people I know, friend, like, you know, people who are acquaintances in, in Turkey saying, Iranians saying, Jan ah, I'd like to come on the show, but, you know, this isn't the best timing. I mean, and and, and all kinds of people who who from day one, yes. people who I don't want to, say their names to, 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 to you know shame them somehow. But from day one of this, two and a half months ago, there's been people who've said, no, uh, I don't feel comfortable yes. saying anything right now. Right. In Toronto, yes. I don't feel uncomfortable saying anything. You know, I maybe I want to travel to Iran or yes. my family or, you know, whatever they say. Yeah. And, and be that as it may, that's their decision. But in that context, for arguably one of the most famous people in the, in, in the Iranian world, mm-hmm to come out from inside Iran, in, in inside Iran currently, and do this, I, I was blown away. And I was just like, man, iftikhar um, mikunim. You know, yes, that, 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 is a, like, that is so, I, 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 we, I bow to you. Yeah. Uh, Not only that, but she also specifically mentioned that I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna fight with you. So I think that was, that was amazing. Uh, the whole, the whole thing that she did, as well as saying that, no, I'm not afraid of you, I'm gonna stay here. Uh, like that, um, uh, that's uh, part of the song that people in Sharif keep singing, Safar Chara Bemano Pas It's It's so inspiring. And I think, um, I'm, I'm really actually hopeful to see more of these sort of acts in the next days. Uh, we, we've seen actually uh, some celebrities already uh, supported her, but also like something very similar to be happening. Yeah, there was a couple of other people who, um, it feels like it's starting a, yeah. it's going to start a trend of people doing it. I mean, uh, there are, there, to be fair, there's been some famous people who have spoken out, but I, I can't think of anyone who's done it in this this bold a way mm-hmm. in this moment. What did you feel, Shia, when you first, uh, when you saw uh, her do this? Oh, I mean, first of all, yes, I am proud of her and like she's uh, fearless. But uh, in the other hand, I'm p- waiting to hear some bad news about like people um, around her. You know, maybe they don't arrest her directly, but th- for sure it has some. Uh, There's going to be some implications yeah. for oh, her. Oh, big time! Uh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, I mean, couple hours ago, another girl who was in a team mainly of. Tiro Kamon and the Zivot. Bow and Arrow. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. It's, so it's not called that officially, but <laughs> yes, we get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, she also on the on the stage that they want to give medal uh-huh. to her. She also took off her oh. hijab, and it's interesting. Like the when you see the picture. Uh, um, the second person tried to cover her hijab, but she refused. <laughs> and it wow! Was interesting. Yeah. Wow! It gets viral. Yeah. Like well, th- I mean, the the best way, 
look, I mean, we can't tell people what to do, especially with their lives are in danger. I was when I was facing this situation in in Turkey. You know, uh, some of the people would say. Uh, okay, well, what do you think will happen if I come on? And I say, well, listen, I can't. I would like you to come on our show. I'm here. I'm gonna, you know, but don't don't come on if you, you know, I can't be. Uh, I'll respect whatever your decision is. So we, of course we have to respect everybody making their own decision. But I, the best way to support Tarne Ali Dusti would be if a whole bunch of other celebrities yes. did it, exactly. because they can't. They can, they can punish one person or their families or whatever you say, but if a thousand people are doing it, yeah. I mean, exactly. then what, right? I know the campaign already has started that we are supporting Tarane, and so we, I'm sure by, by next days we will see more of this. Right, yeah. right, that would be. But what you say is is quite alarming, Shai, because before we started recording, I said something about this, and I, don't, I think Meritad will, maybe we can talk about Team Meli in this context as well, but... Tarunelli Dusty is so famous that mm. it, it that almost becomes at least one might think could be some kind of shield for her, you know, in terms of the regime is as stupid as they are, is not so stupid as to turn up, you know, mm. harm her or whatever. Mm. But you were ta- you were saying it doesn't it doesn't always play out that way. It can be yeah. done in a more deceptive and and yeah. uh, and and draconian way in which they go after. Yes, like I mean, in the like uh, you you can see in the gangster movies like. Some of uh, some of like her uh, families, like second families, mm-hmm. they would kill in a car accident, mm. and you cannot prove that it ha- it happened by regime. Right. But right. yeah, it's it it happens a lot of time. Oh, yeah. it and happened a lot. Daria, you were actually one of the talking points for today that you you had mentioned to me that you were once talking about was families, and yeah. so what what did you want to say on that? Well, um, I mean. To that point, uh, definitely, like we've seen so many times before that, yeah, family members mysteriously, like they got killed in a car accident or something. But also like one thing I want to just talk about the other side of it, that um, right now, uh, like today, uh, there was uh, news that uh, Elham Afgari, who's Navid Afgari's sister, mm. was arrested because she was very uh, active recently, and uh, they accused her of uh, being in touch with Iran International. Um, Nav- Navid Afgari, to remind everybody, the athlete who was executed last yes. year. Yes. So this is his sister. His sister, being uh, active now. Uh-huh. And also another uh, person who's been very active is um, Mahi Mokhtari, sister of Muhammad Mokhtari, who was killed in uh, 2009 again in John Bishop Saps and like and yeah we um, we all have seen uh, Hassan Ronaghi mm, Hossein mm-hmm. Ronaghi's brother so all of these people are being active they're because like they really directly being hurt like their loved ones are being hurt they are either killed or being tortured so regime keeps arresting torturing and killing people what are they going to do with the families they cannot go around and mm. kill everyone they're just like every day that passes they will just have more people mm. that are determined to see their end and yeah it I becomes a self-perpetuating circle a cycle in the in yeah. the sense that for every person you i i would always say this in terms of conflicts that have raged for years in the middle east where you think every time somebody gets murdered, that person has, uh, or detained, or tortured, or all these things that we were talking about in terms of the Iranian context, that person has a fa- has maybe 
children or cousins or uh, close friends or parents, those people are never going to forget uh, as the, the Flight 752 mantra is never forget never forgive yes. and and so it just becomes you're absolutely right like you, you, you know it's like a domino effect you keep coming after us keep killing keep doing this the, anybody who around that person is like dropping a stone into a pond and, and the ripples go out yeah. all of those exactly. people are not going to forget this the more the more Iranians you kill the more Iranians will not will never forgive uh, but it's it's so um devastating to think about the families having to be re-terrorized re-traumatized um who was it on monday uh uh, patastu fatimi was talking on the show about uh the family of hadith the Mm -hmm. the the young woman who was Mm -hmm. killed uh then the sister goes to the funeral and she gets arrested and And got got, shot and got shot yeah <laughs> I mean, it like uh, speaking of Elham Afkari, when you see the video of uh, her parents that they going to the um, prison and like uh, banging on the door, and it's like we you, you can feel their pain. They they don't want to lose another kid. And yeah, yeah it's I cannot imagine what they're going through really, because they they've been through this. Like Navid Afkari was arrested and was. Uh, sentenced to death like people started to you know go viral with hashtags nothing happens they you know he got killed executed at the end and now like another yeah I remember thinking with uh, um, my my own naivete I remember thinking with the Navid Afkari situation which was only a year and a half ago we talked about it on the show even right before he was executed I remember thinking they can't really go ahead with this you know there's too much too much attention is on this now you know and it was just yet another example of how um, this this is why reformism was dumb and the idea of trying to reform this this regime because because it they they are the people who called them out as ruthless from day one and said these people can never be you can't make a deal with them we're right mm-hmm. there's no there's you know th- there's no hope in yeah. anything other than getting rid of this regime yeah. because there's no ethics there's no. no there's no humanity there's no idea there's no logic yeah. um and every one of these stories i mean you think you just like the courage we're talking about about Taran Ali Dusty. Think about what we're actually talking about. A woman took a selfie with like a sign. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. You know, you think like she climbed the top of the Eiffel Tower and you know poured. You know, I mean, this, I mean, yeah. yeah what she's it's, done it's, is so profoundly courageous because that's how insane this regime is. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And it's also inspiring. It's yes. also inspiring. Got to keep coming back to that, the hope and the unity mm-hmm. and the, the inspiration and how this, this is how change happens, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And, um, um, one thing that was circulating around uh, was also that bravery is contagious, and that's that's very true. Yeah. Like these little act of, uh, you know, showing. Yeah. Um, Think of all the little girls yeah. in Iran right now who mm-hmm. saw Tyrone Ali Dusty do yes. that. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, thank you, you guys. Um, I want to say a quick thank you to we, we, we've been pulling long hours here. It's a small team, and and um, the team works so hard. There were some nice people who volunteered and brought us some food the other day, <laughs> and I just thought, uh, and we didn't ask them. 
you know they said we really like the work you were doing and they brought um, they, they cooked a few of them cooked food and brought it and I just thought that was such a lovely gesture and so indicative of what I feel like is happening in the uh, in the Iranian community right now some of the beautiful stuff that's happening that people we don't even know said we love what you're doing and, and, yeah. and we really appreciate it we want to help somehow so uh, we brought you some food um, and it was lovely amazing Thanks next so time much. please bring Monday or Thursday <laughs> which I mean <laughs> yeah everybody except Shia ate the food uh, and uh, there's still some remaining um, thank you Daria thank you thank you Shia thank you let's get to our first guest uh, my first guest grew up in Iran and is now a member of the diaspora here in Toronto. She is a registered psychotherapist and Canadian certified counselor, public speaker, a lecturer, a supervisor, and an advocate on mental health. She's also a doctoral candidate at York University, and you can find her on her popular Instagram page, therapy, where she's been quite outspoken about um, uh, this revolution that's happening in Iran and the... Um, the mental uh, health effects of it for all of us. Yasemin Karimi joins me from Toronto right now. Hello. Hi, Jean-Jean and everybody. Nice to see you. Nice to, I mean, this is the first time we've had to to chat, at least in a, in a somewhat official uh, kind of way since all of this uh, began, or at least uh, this latest iteration of the revolution began. Um been thinking about you, and and I'm I'm glad that we have the opportunity to talk about uh, mental health and the, how this is affecting uh, those of us in the diaspora and the Iranians inside Iran. From what you hear from them, tell me first about you. How have you been processing the last couple of months? I think, like everybody else, Jan it's been uh, challenging in terms of containing and holding this space for both trauma and hope grief and celebration you know it's overwhelming it's challenging and i think it's been the same for me i've been having a very hard time um managing uh, lots of the intake both emotionally psychologically but i'm doing my best is it um is it how does it feel personally as a woman as someone who came from iran to see um, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but to see the success of this revolution in the sense that uh, it hasn't, they haven't been able to quash it and it seems to keep growing and the defiance of the women and, and men in Iran to, to keep this going, especially the young people. Um, how does that feel to you? It feels empowering. You know, I've had my fair share of exposure to uh, what is going on in Iran in terms of this religious police, this morality police. I have a hard time calling it a morality police. Like, what is that? So I've had quite uh, a bit of exposure to that growing up uh, as a young woman in Iran. So seeing how young women are standing up to that kind of violence and oppression is empowering even from... Uh, this distance so it makes me feel proud but i'm worried you know i'm worried for them it breaks my heart to see uh all the oppression yeah um you you've i want to read something that you posted in terms of this collision of feelings that we're experiencing you you, you said at one point um on a post i guess a couple of weeks ago you said as a therapist for several years i can attest that we iranians have been living through a state of trauma grief chronic anxiety hopelessness desperation and mistrust as a result and now 
We are witnessing how that pain and trauma have turned into hope, courage, defiance, perseverance, unity, and antagonism. That's a lot to say. It and, is and, a lot. And it's an interesting, um, I, I mean, one wants to believe this transformation. Tell me what you mean in that statement. And I think we can talk about that in two parts where there are uh, overlaps for sure. But for people inside Iran, you know, this uh, empowering phase where women finding their authority, their voice after, you know, history, the long-standing history of uh, misogyny and gynophobia and having problems with gender in society and in all the laws and everything. So... Uh, you know, I think in terms of uh, finding that kind of autonomy and authority, that's beautiful to see. But on the other hand, as I've noted, um, the anxiety and the uncertainty is also an integral part of this. And for people outside Iran, I, I don't remember uh, this level of unity and solidarity. I think this is beautiful to see this closeness between Iranians outside Iran. And also, one thing that's very interesting for us in the diaspora is that I've noticed that lots of people, Iranian people, uh, they've had a hard time expressing and exposing their Iranian identity to people uh, in the West. And no fault to them, it's been a survival mechanism just because of how uh, there's so much going on against Iran. We have like uh, the all the Islamophobic uh, perspectives. We have the travel ban in our history. so. There has been so much, so people have had to somehow hide their identity mm. to be able to integrate into the society. And that is gradually fading away. And now I'm seeing a lot of people, and they talk uh, about that in their sessions. They're now feeling uh, a sense of uh, integrity and respect mm. as an Iranian. Mm. and. Uh, it empowers them to express who they are, to identify as an Iranian, you know, to find their voice again. So it's quite a healing journey for them. But on, the, on a different note, uh, there's always this survival guilt that I'm living in this safety, I'm living with this uh, comfortable life in this um, safe environment, and I cannot really contribute to mm. what is going on in that sense in the streets of Iran. So you know it's challenging as you said it's just too much to take at the same time let me um untangle you said a, a few things there let me see if i can address them one by one and 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 you know i i did an opening essay to our show i guess about a month ago um saying the rebirth of iranian pride um which is speaking to that point that you just made and the most amazing part of that and the reaction to that essay uh, is that it's not just, I mean, I was writing it from the perspective of a, an Iranian and the, the, the diaspora who now feels this level of emancipation of being able to say I'm Iranian, be proud of being Iranian and without all the, the layers of um, having to issue disclaimers and justify and we are not ayatollahs and all of that. But the amazing part of it was to hear from people inside Iran that they're feeling this way too. Young people saying, you know, for most of my life I was, I didn't like being Iranian or I was ashamed or I hated living here and all of a sudden I'm feeling this pride. So that's been um, quite a journey. They, 
when we talk about so so let, let, let me take what you said i think there's three points there i want to pick up on the first thing when you were talking about those confluence of feelings is that normal in therapy or is that kind of fucked up that we are we are on the one hand feeling heartbroken and anxious and we can't sleep and we're doom scrolling through our our instagram accounts and on the other hand we're feeling excitement and and hope and inspiration no, I think it's uh, it's the nature of any emotionally and psychologically loaded situation. You know, we have to experience the two sides of the coin, the pleasant feelings and the unpleasant, difficult feelings at the same time. So it's the nature of any psychological milestone, let's say. So is it good? Is it bad? Of course, it's good in so many ways and it's not in uh, some other ways. And, you know, there's no no other way uh, than through it. We have to go through it. We have to process and we have to digest. So that is the nature of it. Sometimes I'm, uh, and, and the fact that it feels a little schizophrenic, uh, not the official version of schizophrenic, but if I can use the term loosely, uh, the fact that it feels that way is not something to be concerned about or something. I mean, it's strange. You can ask any Iranian right now, do it as a, your own thought experiment, uh, how are you feeling about the last couple of months? And you will get something ranging from, um, oh my God, isn't it horrible? I'm devastated to, isn't it amazing? And they're both, coming from the same place ironically they're not you know they're seeing it in different ways it's something that we're both we're feeling both of those things absolutely you know it's traumatizing and it's healing it's both you know it's traumatizing each and every day when i scroll down my phone and i see like pictures like there's so much going on and constantly we are exposed to uh, pictures and videos and data and everything and it's constant so it's triggering it makes me feel extremely anxious mm. and uh, like this sense of not having any control and all of that and it's a scary but on a different note I see people like dancing on the streets like I see these young girls mm. like mm. courageously and it, you know it makes my heart small and you know I experience both at the same time and you know it is beautiful, but it is also painful. Is it different? Is this trauma um, different? <laughs> I mean, if if we accept the premise, I certainly do, that um, your premise that we've been living through 43 years of um, trauma, or at least elements within those 43 years, um, repression, war, uh, um, social uh, limitations, restrictions, um, seeing horrible uh, deaths and, and detainments and all of that. Uh, um, th- the kind of things we're seeing now that we have great access to, uh, um, kids you know, dying, uh, um, horrible images of, of injuries sustained by somebody being shot. Uh, we, those images I'm thinking of, we see of the body with all the bullet uh, wounds on it, et cetera. Um, is that somehow a different kind of trauma because this is happening within the context of a defiant um, revolution because there is a um, there is hope associated with it? Is it different from the way we would have protest, uh, processed seeing something uh, a, a few years ago, just seeing executions or, or more bad news out of Iran? I'm not sure if I 
articulate it that well, but maybe you know what I'm I saying. It's quite different, and you nailed it, Jandron. Uh, you know, in a in a sense, this one has hope in it. This one has direction in it, and this one is empowering. So, in that sense, it's very different. You know, trauma in a sense is about losing control. That you get stuck in a in a situation that you feel you've lost control over a situation and you, you don't have the psychological capacity to contain it, to digest mm. it, and to live through it. That's the definition of trauma. But now we are living through a, a phase that you actually are finding or refinding a sense of a power and a strength and control over a situation. So in that sense, because of having that direction. It is very different. You mentioned trauma and and healing, the two sides of um, of, of a coin. Last week, when I was in Istanbul, we interviewed someone named uh, Nilafar Bahmanpour, who does some um, spiritual kind of work and and yoga. She's a yoga teacher, a yogi, etc. And she talked about this. Also, a person, a member of the Iranian diaspora, of course. Um, she talked about what's happening right now. Like the revolution in Iran and the 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 reaction and interaction of the diaspora as this as a collective healing, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought it was it was it was an amazing point because, um, uh, and she and she even I think added that um, as accelerated as all that all that's happening inside Iran is right now, so is our healing accelerating. You know, it's it's. It, it it is taking something this big, this epic, and this global. Um, but because of the nature of all of that, it's it's undoing some of the trauma. It's it's allowing us to heal as a collective in, in a in a profound way that could otherwise take decades. Uh, you know, if if things weren't happening the way they are. Um, Speak to me about that. Tell me about how you see this as a potential healing moment for all of us as Iranians. It is healing, uh, in in uh, in a way that is not uh, undoable anymore. For for example, inside Iran, you can never uh, even imagine young uh, women or women. Uh, going back to how things were like two years ago, you know, they found this sense of authority and autonomy and that I can have a voice here. I can stand up for myself. Nobody can take that back. There is no going back from this point to how it used to be, even if this movement ends today, Mm -hmm. which it won't, but psychologically, socially, and culturally, something has changed forever. And the same for us in the diaspora. You know, we found this voice as an Iran and uh, we say it with integrity and honor and we're happy about it that the, the world now knows that we are different than our government and all the pictures they had in mind all the media and everything it was about the government but we are the people and this is the definition of who yeah. we are you know lots of my non-Iranian clients have been talking to me that they knew that I'm Iranian um, and how they didn't have any idea about uh, how Iranian women are are inside Iran and they talk to me about it they express how uh, surprised they are to see uh, this reality there's no going back from that so there is a good level of healing in all of that there's um something that um has been brought up a couple times uh um Negin Parsa was talking about this on, on our in our interview last week uh um uh, another professor that we had on the show last week we're talking about 
also the role of the power of women in the front in 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 Iran right now, um, uh, and the brave women who um, who have become the the, the sort of uh, iconic images of this this revolution, uh, but also the role of men in kind of undoing stereotypes about being Iranian men in their support, in their sort of blanket support for women and and supporting uh, in in a knowing way that this is women in the in the front, you know, that, that men are not sort of uh, seemingly, uh, I've not heard yet an Iranian man who supports this revolution say, no, put put a man on the poster. You know, everybody's saying, no, the woman is on the poster and we're supporting uh, them. Um, that's 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 something psychologically and spiritually that I mean I'm not even sure could happen in America I mean that's a, a very um, a real moment of pride in terms of the way Iranians inside Iran and in the diaspora are doing this um, can you speak to that absolutely and you know uh, this is a very progressive movement in the way uh, you just uh, described it it's very progressive that women-led movement and men are not you know this is interesting because most of the feminist movement is about women talking about their rights or whatever but this is men supporting them they they do not alienate men from this movement men are a part of it and they're supporting them as the second role so they've accepted everybody's accepted that women are the leader here this is a women-led movement but men are happily accompanying this uh beautiful movement so in that it's a very progressive movement seems like there hasn't been anything like that not just happily accompanying them dying a lot you know the majority of the people being killed are men who are bravely putting themselves out there as well um but with full knowledge that this is a women-led movement i mean the whole thing is quite beautiful in terms of um in terms of that unity inside iran that you've you've talked about and particularly coming from a patriarchal uh, society, you know, this is the structure. So we see how this is fundamentally being challenged. Let me ask you about something. When you talk about, I mean, you said earlier, I'm, uh, you had witnessed the, or noticed or um, lauded the, the unity of the diaspora. Uh, you did say, you actually posted something recently that was making a separate point from that or or maybe a, a different point because you talked about seeing more unity inside Iran than in the diaspora. Uh, and you said that you've actually, you were a little disheartened by some of what's happened in the diaspora in terms of people pointing fingers at each other or um, shaming Gugush or I don't know, you know, I, I mean, um, talk, talk to me about the, the elements of disunity you've seen outside of Iran and why that's problematic for you. You know, I think I think we do us in the diaspora. We have some uncomfortable feelings that we are containing, uh, that we are not fully aware of, and just subconsciously we're just redirecting them, displacing them onto each other. And sometimes, because of how overwhelming these can be, you know, we are exposed to the news, but we don't have much control of what to do with them or how to direct them. So there's too much to take in and digest and not react. So some of the reactions are not really uh, 
helpful to say the least are not adaptive mechanisms of reacting to uh, unpleasant emotions. As examples, we disqualify lots of the efforts so many people have made throughout the years. And we uh, somehow there's manifestations of extreme uh, acts of uh, even violence towards some of the people. I, I just posted um, something about Nasrin Sotude, which is this prominent Iranian mm -hmm. lawyer, and she is in prison because of her, her uh, outstanding fights. And you cannot imagine some of the replies I got about this uh, post, you know, some of the disrespectful um, mm. replies. So, you know, it's just I think there's the emotions are all over the place. Mm. And I try to take it with a grain of salt, knowing that sometimes we might react ir irrational to some of the abnormalities that we experience. And it might take time for us to gradually settle in reactions. So I think but we why, might why do you think that's happening more in the diaspora than inside Iran? You know, uh, this is my assumption. I'm not living in Iran, but what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing from people inside Iran, I, I it seems to be uh, a more foundational layer of uh, unity between them. I haven't seen as much of, uh, you know, reactions like that inside Iran, to be honest. You know, I see more support. But, yeah, but, but I'm asking why, why you think that is. If you were to speculate, I mean, why... Why are they, you know, they're 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 the ones who are at ground zero there. Why are they not sending you nasty messages messages about Nasri and Sotudeh, but some guy in in you know Washington or a woman in Australia is? You know, I th I think that these are just assumptions. They need lots of research to really identify what mm. is going on. That's what I mean by unity. You know, lots of people thought that okay, for uh, people like forest people, from Baluch people, from like Kurd and Azir, they're just they don't feel belonged to one another. They don't feel that sense of being one. And they don't have that sense of being an Iranian as an identity. They felt that, okay, we are separate identities. But this is what we're seeing. I think uh, in, in so many ways, people inside Iran have found that kind of mechanism mm. to support one another. Mm -hmm. Why it's happening, I'm not sure, to be honest. Yeah, the point was made by um, uh, Cameron Khansarinia on Monday, who said... Um, uh, they're all chanting the same things. The, 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 the folks from Balochistan, the folks from Kurdistan, the folks from Tehran, um, they're all on the same page uh, inside Iran, which is, it is amazing. It's, a, it's, a, it's very, very powerful uh, to, to witness that. Don't buy the hype about all the separation or divisions, etc. Um, on, on that note, you, you said, you've said, let's practice being a kind of shelter for each other. Um, what, how do we do that? What does that mean? And I think we need to we need to become better at uh, having more tolerance at practicing democracy in between ourselves, you know, providing the space to talk and uh, just hear each other out that there's no there, you know, with I think we might have an internalized dictatorship inside us in so many ways hmm. because of years of dictatorship. 
And uh, we need to gradually practice that kind of democracy that some people might have different capacities, might have different mechanisms, and we need to build that tolerance amongst ourselves. That's the only way if we want us, uh, if we want somebody else to be more engaged in this movement, then shaming the person will not do it. You know, we need to provide the space to, con you know, what we say in therapy is providing a containing space, which means mm. this is a space that everybody can be a part of and differences are accepted. You don't have to dissolve. You don't have to mm. um, become one. You can have differences and there's room for everybody. Before I let you go, tell me what you've observed on a professional level in terms of the the conversations you have, uh, obviously you don't have to name names or give details, but the conversations you have in therapy sessions uh, in terms of your clients. Um, I, I know a majority of, of the people that you work with um, in, in terms of uh, that you work as a psychologist or a therapist with are, are Iranian, uh, both inside and outside of Iran. How how have the conversations, how have the sessions that you do changed in the last couple of months, or have they? They have changed dramatically. I think this first happened three years ago, almost three years ago, when the uh, Ukrainian uh, plane crash uh, happened. That was the first time that all conversations were around that topic because of the intensity of the trauma. And that gradually faded away. And now this is the second time that I'm experiencing this intensity of presence of mm. both trauma and hope, these dark and hopeful days. So uh, almost all conversations, everybody's daily life is somehow revolving around what's going on. Uh, it's impacting. It's very interesting. That's how it's impacting couple relationships. Lots of women who had a hard time expressing themselves to their husbands are now finding their voice to express themselves wow. and to voice their opinions. Fascinating to see. So it has changed both on a conscious level that people talk about it and they have, um, you know, some of them are experiencing debilitating anxiety over what's going on. So both consciously and subconsciously through these underlying layers, Lots have changed and are changing for us Iranians. It's um, is is there anything that has surprised you in um in your sessions? I had read extensively about this Generation Z, about this uh, young uh, generation. I had read about how they've been exposed to social media, how they're more vocal, how they're uh, more aware of their rights. I had read about that extensively uh, over the past few years, but witnessing it was a whole different scenario, mm. especially in the context of Iran. You know, that gives me goosebumps. Like, it's beautiful to see. I yeah. just love how women from an Eastern culture who is uh, who has lived with intergenerational uh, oppression and suppression, they are now finding their voice yeah this courageously so this has been quite a surprise for yeah. me yeah not just generation z but uh z but the next one too i mean it's, we're talking about 15 year olds who are leading this thing to a certain extent i mean it's uh 
it's it's mind blowing and and really really makes one proud of of, yes. of them. Courage is a spontaneous for sure. You know, we we are seeing every day people are joining more and more to this movement. Thank you, Yasmin. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and to hear your insights. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Jamjam. Bye bye. This is a special edition of Rook, episode 214. I'm Gian Gomeshi in Toronto. My next guest is a lifelong student of football, a big fan, and an expert of the game. Merdad Ahmadpour is an Iranian documentary filmmaker behind the award-winning doc Badis Silence. He's the man behind a football website in Farsi called Student of the Game, and he's done a series of beautiful videos called The Art of Football, here to talk about the World Cup, Team Meli, and more. Mehrdad Ahmadpour joins me from Toronto today as well. Hello, sir. Hello, Jian. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, uh, I really want to talk about uh, talk about Team Meli these days because it's just 10 days left to the, to the World Cup. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on. I always do, Merta Jan. And uh, I mean, let me start there. That the World Cup is less than two weeks away, and with all that's happening in Iran, I mean, does it feel surreal that your favorite global tournament is about to begin, and you are posting things like, "I have little interest in this." Uh, you know, first of all, um, I have to say that Jan, uh, what we are witnessing these days. Uh, the Iranian uprising uh, is actually the most beautiful thing I, I've ever seen in my whole life. Mm. Um, despite of all the wounds, all the pains that uh, we are facing with, uh, but it is beautiful. It's breathtaking. The, all the photos are coming from Iran, the braveness of people, the music, the artworks, the, mm. uh, the, the, the solidarity from people outside, uh, from the diaspora. Um, but but you know um, all of us uh, like um, experiencing different different type of emotion, different type of mood from morning to night, like from um, anger to love, uh, like depressed and then uh, being excited. Uh, it's it's very paradoxical, and that's how I feel about the. World Cup as well about yeah. Team Meli in World yeah. Cup, yeah. like very different emotions. Yeah, it's a very, um, it's a very confusing time. I've been struggling with. I, I've I've tried about three times to do an opening essay that I've written. Um, you know, I do these openings to the show to do something about the World Cup and Team Meli, and I end up scribbling over it, going, "No, no, I can't," because I'm confused. I'm confused about where exactly I stand. And everybody I reach out to feels that same confusion in the sense that um, one one of the few joyful spots one could argue of being Iranian in the last, you know, couple of decades, uh, if not longer, has been when we come together around Team Meli and, you know, they're playing a game against Argentina and they almost win or whatever the case may be. And there's this feeling of pride and of camaraderie and sisters and brothers together. Um, but this is a very, very different scenario and a very, very different situation. Um, do, did you have a position uh 
dating back a few weeks or months, I mean, there have been some folks, including some prominent Iranians who work in the sports field, saying, Aslan, Iran should have been banned. You know, as soon as this mm-hmm. revolution began and the regime is killing people, uh, Iran should not even be allowed to play in the World Cup. Did you have that position? Uh, kind of. Uh, you know, uh, I have to explain it. Uh, as you said, it's, it's very surreal. Uh, Timeli is very important because it was always been the symbol, the the, the embodiment of the uh, solidarity as a nation. It has a huge capacity to unify um, the unify us as a nation as it did before in 1997 i was in iran at the time uh, after the melbourne victory when people uh, celebrated all together uh, regardless of their ethnics their um, thoughts their beliefs uh, timeli have this potential to do that but um, this timeli mm, i would say uh, a bit disappointing jian um, you, you know Along these years, we are all growing up, we are all learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, learning through those social events, those social reforms. Um, I, as, uh, like as a fan, at some point learned that I won't enter to the stadium where my uh, sister, my wife, is not welcome mm-hmm. to enter. Uh, 10 years ago, we were not uh, aware of our basic rights, but now we are. So we have to do something. We, we, we need to change our behavior. And that's what we expected from the fans, from Team Milli, from the players, from the supporters, from uh, not the Federation because they are all corrupted. But I mean, the, the, the uh, people in football, from fans to players. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm telling you um, I'm kind of uh, disappointed because and, and angry of Tim Melli uh, even before this uprising uh, we were talking about we, we talked about that in the last uh, show that yeah. uh, I was invited in yeah. uh, that uh, when se- security police invaded women in Mashhad uh, because they they're simply trying to enter to the stadium they all bought the the legal tickets yes. they had their tickets in their hands and they embedded them with the tear gas and players knew that and they didn't do anything meaningful i mean by meaningful i mean uh, do for example uh, wearing a t-shirt uh, under their jersey writing for example joy khaharam in jahalis or uh, the, this kind of message they, they used to have this this t-shirt for example they uh, one of them had this message under uh, their jersey, uh, uh, what was it? It was Nejat uh, Etaat as Rahbaris. It's ridiculous. I mean, uh, it, it was uh, like the, the only way of survive is uh, to obey Khamenei. Right. So we at at the time we we need them to be with us, uh, like uh, to be part of this this uh, part of this uh, what should I, p- part of this uprising. But after this this recent uprising, if you remember the first day, all of us are waiting, uh, waiting uh, to from footballer to do something mm. at the first days. You mm. remember that to to respond. Um, since uh, one of the most uh, important celebrities who support this uprising was Ali Karimi. Yes. So I thought that maybe the players could follow them. A uh, few days passed and. They did, they did nothing, absolutely nothing. 
it was just Sardar Azmoun, if I remember well. Uh, he's, he posted something on Instagram, and then he deleted that. I know that they put pressure on the players. They were in Obviously, the, they do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, I yeah, mean, yeah. It's, it's not the same as... I, I mean, we should say here that sometimes I feel like we kind of go, well, you know, you'll hear like some... Uh, indie Iranian musician in San Francisco say, well, I canceled my show. Why isn't uh, Team Meli doing something? And it's like, well, the, the, it's a different circumstance in terms of the pressures, right? It, 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 the implications are different, right? Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, uh, um, I won't expect to do something like to cancel the, the uh, or uh, not, the turn, up, to not turn up to the game the, or the something. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But but do something meaningful. I mean, as um, something that El Nazre Kabi did, you remember mm. the, uh, uh, like, and then Nilufar uh, Mardani or um, the the guy in uh, in beach f- football, yes. beach soccer. What yes. was his name? Uh, uh, oh, sorry, I forgot his name. Uh, we know what you mean, though. though he, Said Piramun. Yeah, that's Said right. Piramun. Yes, yes. Yeah, who who had this gesture of uh, cutting cutting hair. Uh, yeah. Cutting hair. yeah it, it's, it's, it was very beautiful. I mean, it's meaningful to do something. Uh, it means that we are we are with we, we are with you. We, we are supporting. It, I just I, uh, I, but, I don't I don't want to get sidelined with this. It's something that we just talked about in our Rook Roundtable too. But I also do feel like, like you're absolutely right, El Nazre Kabi, or, or you know, just in the last days, Tarone Ali Dusti, who I know you you know, and 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 I've spoken to before. I mean, that is such mm-hmm. an act of profound courage, what she's done to come out and, given her profile, take a stand the way she does. Uh, but I don't know if it's fair to expect others to do that, you know? I mean, you know that this can put her in great danger, great trouble, etc. And uh, I don't know if it's fair for me to expect some football player who happens to be on Team Meli to, to do the same. What do you think? I mean, I don't expect everybody to... Uh, like um, to have this courage to do a real thing, I mean, real meaningful thing. For example, in Tarane Ali Dusti case, I don't expect all the actors or actresses in Iran to to do this thing, but I expect them to to support her, to to repost her, and you know what I mean. And and uh, for example, uh, the players in Team Meli posted something on Instagram that they uh, it, it was very vague, very ambiguous, not clear. They said, uh, please don't shoot people. We are all sad. We are all, mm. um, we, we all feel bad these days. This is, sorry, this is bullshit. I mean, uh, you, you feel bad, really? We feel very, very well. We feel very excited. We feel, uh, we feel power at this time. I mean, mm. uh, this, uh, I, I was saying that despite of all the, all the wounds all the pains that we are expe- we are experiencing but we feel really excited because we need you to 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 support us in a real way in a uh, because you know timeli is very important timeli yes. is uh, could could yes. uh, could have a very good uh, impact but i have a um, i have a cousin in iran and who is very conservative and he said um, i can't do anything but when Sardar posted this thing on Instagram, I will go to the street. Mm. I mean, they can they can take many. I mean, huge, huge segment of the society mm-hmm. with them. 
Uh, it's very and uh, specifically in the World Cup because World Cup is the most watched um, yeah. phenomenon in in the media. Mm -hmm. So it would have a very good impact. So uh, somebody tweeted on the, on Twitter that uh, we may have some like some artwork. It, it, for example, imagine that one of the players, Ali Reza Bayram Band, could go to the pitch and uh, handcuff his wrist to the goalpost, yeah. remembering Khodanur. Well, let, let, let me get to what they could do. Let me what to, let, let's get to what they could do. Okay. Let's just sure. catch up to where. First of all, if you don't mind, let me just take two steps back and okay, sure. um, and and actually drill down into something that you were talking about. I, I wonder if it's possible. See, it's still interesting to me how there's been a transformation in terms of the way we see Team Melli and the expectations. Because to be fair, in 2018, the last World Cup, when Iranians around the world were filling, in the diaspora, I mean, were filling bars and, and gathering spaces, et cetera, to cheer on Team Melli, this regime was in place, this killer regime in Iran. Women were not allowed in the stadiums. Um, uh, you know, uh, there, there, there was no, there was no pretense that, that you know, reformism was dead by that point. So, so what? And and in fact, there was almost a feeling. I'm not sure how I how to exactly say this, but it almost felt subversive to be supporting Team Melly. Look at these handsome guys. We're normal Iranians. Look, the rest of the world can see that we're like everybody else. We're not Ayatollahs. We're not Mullahs. We don't agree with that. We're we're engaging in this international um, thing with these with these with these players. It's, uh, uh, that that it's somehow even a form of defiance. Um, when did that shift? Like when did it go from that to? This this team, the existence of this team represents the regime, and we need them to speak out. Uh, yeah, it's it's a very good point. Um, uh, as I uh, said before, that we are all in in a in a learning in a somehow learning process. We are uh, being aware of our basic rights. That, for example, I, I remember that uh, twenty uh, or uh, twenty twenty five years ago when the first time uh, they let women into the stadium because uh, they want to celebrate uh, Iran, uh, Iran team Meli uh, mm -hmm. back from Melbourne. They just let them to enter to the stadium that to, just to cheer and to thank to the, uh, to the players. And uh, nothing happened. But at the time, we were not aware of our basic rights that, okay, this is normal. So we, can, we, could, we could live as a normal people in the world like uh, everybody can be together in the stadium but now everything has been changed because um, after this this learning process after the, the, the this uprising we think that uh, maybe it was not right because uh, i told you before that it's been 10 years 12 years that mm -hmm. i never go to the stadium because i think that it's it's not fair right so and this time we are we need a team who represents all the, I mean, all segments of right. the society, right. not the, not the, uh, not being a propaganda for the regime. And people now feeling that if they go to Qatar without supporting this uprising, uh, it will just, uh, I mean, it's not representing us. I believe yeah. the, the World yeah. Cup finally be in a, uh, finally be a place for the yeah. regime to spread their hateful propaganda uh, uh, through Timeli. Yeah. Um, and um, 
I mean, if people see something meaningful, something meaningful about uh, their act, about the, yeah. this uprising, they would support them in a way that would never seen it before. Yeah. You know, because, for example, in the 2018 that you mentioned, because I was in Canada at the time, every single game I went, here is the multicultural uh, country, mm. that I went to a, a bar, a specific bar to the country, like, like for example, in uh, when Colombia is playing to... Uh, against Brazil, I went. I found some Brazilian bar and went there. Mm. And then I went to 22 different nationalities. Uh, and then Iranian was among the most passionate yeah. fans in the world. Yeah. You know that. And then we have this potential in ourselves to support them uh, as we did before. But we need their support before. Yeah. That's yeah. why that we have this this rule for us that okay we won't support them because you didn't support us yeah that's the that's the logic i guess let, let me say two things and then you can respond to them i um one is that um there's so many layers of difficulty when it comes to this world cup um first of all it's fucked up because it's in november it, it, it's it's yeah. disrupting all the other league games and you know just as a football fan it's very strange to get our our heads around that um, secondly, the the issues around Qatar and the the exploitation and deaths of migrant workers and and the the the, the L, anti LGBT uh, policies in Qatar and all of those issues, which frankly are not brand new. I did a show back in. 2013 about this, you know, uh, on the CBC. I mean, these have people have been saying this for years about Qatar, and now we're two weeks away. You, all of those issues exist, but I would also put an asterisk on that and say that again, in 2018, the World Cup was in Russia, and we all watched and celebrated, and Putin was in charge, and FIFA was corrupt, and the invasion of Crimea had taken place four years earlier. So, so you know. What part of that is okay if if Qatar is not? So that's something that I think we we have to contend with with these international competitions. That that um, you know any nation state that hosts it, there's going to be issues, and certainly there is with Qatar, and it makes it very confusing. But the second part, what you're talking about with Team Meli as well, it's certainly true that if they do nothing. In other words, um, if if Team Melly goes and plays at the World Cup and and there's no act of defiance or there's no nod to the protests or there's no support for the revolution, nothing like that. In other words, if it's business as usual, it 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 it, it will just feel so out of step with the will of the Iranian people at this point that it would be nothing short of a slap in the face. That that's that's certainly what it feels like. It's like. That no one, nothing can be business as usual at a time when when kids are being shot and and the majlis is is is, is passing a law that executions are okay if somebody expresses their freedom of expression. That is not usual. That is not allowed, and and this should not be business as usual. So so it's a conundrum for Team Melly, isn't it? Because. Um, the players, the the coaches, the team. The, I, I don't know how these these decisions are going to get made, but it feels like they have to do something, don't they? Yeah, uh, of course. Before that, uh, I kind of um, uh, understanding you as an Arsenal fan because you have the momentum now in the in the Premier League. That how sad you are because yes. now the World Cup is happening. Yes, it's destroying but, uh, our our number one <laughs> place. But yes, go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but apart from that, yeah, that that's what I'm saying. Um, we really need to uh, 
for example, the first game is against England. If we really need to see something from them to 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 act, I'm, I mean, it's not enough for us to just like like having the the black worst band or this kind of thing. We need we need a real act to just to impress the world. And if we see something, we just just be sure that people will support back them. I mean. Uh, mm. I'm now, now I'm I'm thinking that uh, the players, Iranian players, are doing a very, like, um, having a very bad strategic mistake because the only thing that they have are the 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 fans are who who are very passionate, who are very passionate. It's it's very important. Um, imagine that they are in the World Cup, and because I know that like fifteen thousand of uh, fans. Fi- 15,000 of people canceled their ticket to Qatar because they don't like to support them. Mm. And then uh, when they go to the World Cup, they face with some like some uh, pro-regime fans with those ugly faces and bloody hands cheering for them. It's not a, it's not a joy for them right. to even to um, to win a game. And uh, we are not uh, expecting like other players like from England to do something. Right. Um, I was thinking to send a message to Harry Kane to to ask them, uh, like asking asking him to wear an underwear called hashtag Massa Amini mm. after a potential gold celebration. But it's not fair. I need our player to do something. Mm. Um, and uh, I well, by see... The, mind you, mind you the, the football world did do it for Ukraine. I hate to keep making those comparisons, but as I've said a few times on this program, I mean, the Premier League logo changed to the Parachama Ukraine, you know, like it changed to the flag of Ukraine in supporting Ukraine. So it's not it's not extraordinary that other countries could support, you know, uh, that ha- yeah, but there's a precedent for that. They always have this double standard. They always have yes. this, this double standard. You remember that the last World Cup in 2018, when... Um, uh, Granit Xhaka and Jerdan Shakiri, two players from Kosovo who plays who, who, who were playing for Switzerland, Switzerland yeah. scored against Serbia. Showed that uh, they showed a specific uh, like uh, a specific celebration, uh, and they banned for the next two games because right. they said it's political message. We don't like political message. They, we always have this this double standard right. in right. FIFA in UFA. And I think that is happening uh, uh, for Russia and Iran. I mean, uh, they they ban Russia and they don't ban Iran because uh, uh, they're not like uh, very serious about that. Mm. Isn't it sad if we are expecting the other players? I mean, players from other countries to do something for us. It's I feel a bit sad uh, about that. Um, we are, well, we we know uh, they're not going to be potentially arrested or detained or even you know executed or something right that's the uh there are different implications but i mean what can the but do you think that our players will be arrested i don't no, know i, don't think I have will, no idea they, they what they would do this you you don't think something would that you don't think that they would somehow be punished for 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 acting out the price will be so high they even the uh, um, they even don't like arrest. They, they didn't arrest El Nazar Kabi or Said Piramun for that. I mean, uh, but for like for example, for Mehdi Tarami, it's it's very high. The price is very high. They don't do that, and they are playing outside Iran. They have their uh, like their income outside Iran. I, I mean, the price for them is not that. The price for the players mm. is not that high. Mm. That's why that we are expecting them to do something, to do a real meaningful thing for us. Would you be? Have you heard the suggestion? I've seen it going around in um, 
Persian Twitter and stuff it's for the for the players to kneel uh, before the the game with the U.S. Uh, and, and and that would be some sort of demonstration against the the regime. Have you seen that suggestion? While the the anathem is playing, yeah. is it Ill- is it legal? I don't. I, I'm I'm not sure if it's legal. I, if I they know. really can do it, I don't know. But they can they can bend the knee before before. I mean, it's live. Anything can you can do anything going. live for a few uh, a few seconds before the cameras cut away, right? I mean, uh, um, they can certainly not sing. Uh, they they can boo the anthem. They can they can I mean, obviously not celebrate. That's been something that's been done by um, some. So, you know, there was that Estaklal victory where they they. They, they didn't celebrate winning the cup. Um, I mean, w- would those things be meaningful for you? Uh, from the players or the players? The yeah. Yeah. It, it, of course, it's meaningful if they boo the anathem, but they, they won't do that. I mean, uh, you know, this is the very big opportunity for us to be the, the nation voice. You remember that last uh, Cannes Film Festival when Asghar Farhadi didn't say anything mm-hmm. about Khuzestan at the time. It was 2021. Mm-hmm. And then people kind of sad about uh, and kind of angry with Asghar Farhadi because they, they, they were saying that you have this this uh, this, this position now yeah, to yeah. be our voice. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, World Cup is very important. Billions of people are watching. Like two billion mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. will watch the World Cup uh, semi-final, for mm-hmm. example. Iran won't get there, but I mean, uh, even one billion people watching the Iran-US or Iran against England. It's a very good opportunity for for them to be uh, their people' voice. That's why that we are expecting them to 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 do an act, to do a meaningful act. I mean, by meaningful act. I mean, I said that something that El Nazre Kabi did, something that mm. Said Piramun did, put him like like having a T-shirt under their jersey, writing something uh, like Zanz and the Azadi mm. or Masa. I mean, it, this kind of thing. Not, I mean, uh, uh, not singing the anathem is it's it's nothing. Do you think that is it is it is it meaningful? Like just. I mean, it doesn't seem that meaningful to me, but I don't know. Maybe this is some. Maybe I don't understand that the implications for an Iranian anthem singing. I don't know how normal that is in in terms of the the inside Iran um, football leagues and stuff. But frankly, not singing it doesn't seem like that a big. A lot of times, football players don't sing the anthems because they they don't they don't sing very well or something, you know. Um, so I, I I don't know. You know. But let, let me I'm, ask you something. Sure, yeah, sorry, sorry sure. to interrupt you. Um, in the first day of uprising, first days mm-hmm. like uh, the the first week, yes. Uh, did you expect, or were you waiting for footballers to do something? We all thinking of that. Yes, I remember the discussion began almost right away. Yeah, uh, and the thing that they did, uh, you were happy with that. Uh, what did they do? Just just posting some some. Uh, very vague message on Instagram, no. and they celebrate even in a friendly game yeah. uh, against Uruguay. They celebrate. I, I mean, uh, to, in, to, in to, to be game, fair, I, to to be fair, in the first week or two, uh, we didn't exactly know where this was going. It it wasn't 
uh, it hadn't um, crystallized into the revolution that it is now. There were, you know, there was, mm -hmm. it was, it, it felt like, oh, maybe this is going to be another Aubon. Um, uh, the, the inspiration and hope of all the things that you spoke so beautifully about at the beginning of this interview, um, the, the share of in song to the, the, the artwork, to the unity around the diaspora, all of that hadn't crystallized yet. So, um, but I, I agree that after week two or three, um, these questions have been relevant, not just for uh, for football players. And look, we had somebody on the show last week on our on our roundtable from Istanbul, and she was she was very um, unimpressed with the actions of Istiklal, uh, you know, not celebrating in, in the end because she said, uh, and she's from the creative sector, she works in film, et cetera. She said, why is the expectation that you know, uh, musicians shouldn't play gigs and, and uh, actors shouldn't work and filmmakers shouldn't be making films right now. But when it comes to sports, they should play the game and we'll just be happy if they don't sing the anthem or something. These kind of double standards within different uh, sectors of Iranian um, society exist as well. I don't know if you have a position around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you mentioned Estelle and it was very, uh, it's a very good point because, you know, uh, they created a very, very powerful, uh, powerful picture when they just um, uh, had this gesture, and then they didn't uh, celebrate for the uh, for the victory for the trophy that they got. And it was very. Uh, I mean, this this is uh, what I'm meaning by by meaningful act uh, mm. because it, they, they, because the, the image that they create. And then did they punish them? Not at all. Nothing happened. I mean, nothing very serious happened. But to then, them. but then, and what's the importance of it? I mean, I just to, you know, just to take the, take on Nafisa's words from last week, just to to paraphrase what she said. She said, "This won't. This doesn't. This is meaningless." Um, I'm I'm not necessarily saying that myself, but I, I'm. You know, how do you respond to her saying that? Did it change anything that they did that? Yeah, I I, I think that it opened the way. It really opened the way. This act or El Nazre Kabi's act open the way for Team Meli to do something. You know what I mean? Uh, because um, th this probably hasn't that much impact on the society or on, mm. the, wo uh, on the world, but they open the way to the other players, mm. to the other footballers to, to do something. And then when they do the same thing in the World Cup, I mean, like, not don't celebrate after mm. goal or having a message or doing something meaningful, mm -hmm. It has a good good impact. I mean, every every step that we take uh, from all segments of the society, from Estelal, from Persepolis, from all the players, we we need to do uh, we need to take our step. We need to mm. uh, like to do our responsibility about this this uprising. Okay, let me. Um ask you this then and uh, let me perhaps wrap up with this um i thank you as ever for for coming on brother um look I, I, let me just actually issue a disclaimer here which is that i'm i'm asking the questions and in some cases playing devil devil's advocate because i really don't know myself i am really uh confused about exactly um how this should play out in terms of the right thing to do to if, if the mission, if the goal, as, as I believe it should be, is to support those young people in Iran, those those women and men in Iran who are who are leading this this revolution, what is the best thing that we can do um, to support them, and and how does that fit into the World Cup? That's that's the sort of challenge, and I don't know the answer. So let me ask you: 
<laughs> what 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 should we do? I mean, it, you know, the, I I canvassed as many friends and family as I could over the last few days, saying, "What do you think?" You know, and I did. I didn't really get a lot of solid answers. A few people said, um, and a few people that I, I really respect their opinions, uh, who've been very active in the in the in this revolution, said, um, "I'm waiting to see." what folks like Ali, Ali Karimi and uh, Ali Dai tell us you know i'm waiting to see what the what 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 it what is decided in terms of what we should all collectively do um, should we all not watch should we all stay quiet should we all celebrate should we all um, do you have any sense of what what you are going to do i mean when when that first game is played Well, it's it's a it's a very different uh, it's a very tough question you know because uh, I couldn't even imagine that how on earth it could be possible that team Melli is playing and then I don't care it, it's it's very surreal as you said and then um, I was thinking of uh, with myself that okay uh, if I for example I was thinking that uh, okay I, I won't watch the game and I was telling you myself that okay what's gonna happen if you don't want hmm. to watch the right, game right. What, what's the impact okay what what uh, what's the result uh, that you want to get out of it and then uh, actually I can't even answer this question because we are all um, kind of desperate about the situation that yeah. we are stuck in yeah. because I think that okay now Tim Lee is playing um, And uh, probably when the game started, uh, we can't even decide which side are we uh, yeah. supporting. And then the, at the at the end of the day, I have to go back to the you know, to the quote from uh, Jose Trajano. I, I said in the in the mm. uh, uh, in the previous session I was with you, and he said that when Brazil was playing in World Cup 1970 in Mexico. We went there to cheer for the for the opponents because Brazil was under dictatorship and uh, players like Pele didn't support us. Yeah. But when the referee started to blow their whistle, uh, we couldn't we couldn't do that. We support Brazil yeah. because in football everything everything is getting changed. We can't yeah. think we, we we think with our hearts, and I even can't uh, imagine that uh, I would be happy if. England or or US uh, or Wales scored against Iran. Uh, it's it's a it's a tough question, yeah. and I I don't have any answer for that. Yeah. But uh, I personally think in this situation uh, we have to believe believe this uprising because people could imagine in the first days could imagine that it's going to happen. It, we are. Um, Uh, let, let me let, let me uh, talk it in Farsi. The last sure, sentences. همه ما یه جوری باور کردیم که برای چند روز باور کردیم که این اتفاق خواهد افتاد. این انقلاب به نتیجه خواهد رسید. بعد به خاطر همین ما دیگه نمیتونیم چون چون اینو تصور کردیم دیگه نمیتونیم فکر کنیم که این نیست. من فکر میکنم که تنها کاری که میتونن بازیکنای تیم ملی هم بکنن اینه که تصور کنن که این اتفاق میفته اون وقت چه چه اکتی خواهند داشت That's what I'm saying Yeah I hear you 
I hear you. And by the way, uh, well, yeah, I was I was saying actually uh, last week that it's so interesting how I can imagine. I don't know the details. Uh, I can imagine, but this is why I believe that this is the this is this is the revolution. This is the time. I can imagine this succeeding. I can imagine the fall of the regime. Uh, and I can imagine again. I don't know exactly what happens, who's in charge, or who's the, you know, who the organizers are, and then in the in the future, uh, what the people of Iran inside Iran decide is 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 up to them, and it's hard to imagine necessarily. But I can imagine that happening. I can't. I can no longer imagine it not happening, in the sense that um, I don't see how you could turn this back. I really don't. And that's very powerful to me to not even be able to to imagine this regime retaining its power with with the amount of and the volume and the quality and quantity of people who are, who are speaking against this regime inside Iran and and in the diaspora. So I, I hear you. And that's a, a very powerful way to put it. The, the last thought I'll throw out there just as a football fan and, and somebody who, you know, if if. Uh, you know, in, in another in, in in another universe would be planning which just simply which pub we're going to be watching the uh, the, the the World Cup at. You and I, you know, um, devoid of any of these concerns or thoughts, uh, it's going to be interesting because I also am a Canadian citizen uh, and a British citizen, and 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 both England and Canada are in the World Cup, and I have a lot of pride for the Canadian football team being there in in the World Cup as well, and. Um, and I don't know if the Canadian football team should suffer, you know, not have uh, fans for, like me because I'm upset at, at uh, Iran, you know. Uh, uh, so the whole thing has so many layers. Um, should Iran not make it to the uh, second or third round? Do, do I go through the World Cup with the same enthusiasm? Can I even summon it at a time like right now? I don't feel like going to parties. Am I, uh, I, all I can think about is what's going on in Iran. Am I going to feel like <laughs> celebrating England winning? Uh, I do watch my Arsenal games each week, and I am happy about how the team is doing. But it, even that doesn't feel like the way it would if there wasn't a, a revolution happening that, for all the beauty you've spoken about, is also devastating as we see people getting killed, right? So um, I guess the um, I guess we're going to find out pretty quickly in, in the next two weeks uh, or so or more uh, all of the answer to all these questions, aren't we? And um, on top of that, I still have this this hope that Iranian players could do something in the first game and people get back to them. And then it's going to be a very, very, very exciting World Cup for us if they do that. I still have this hope. Do you? (laughs) Yes, actually, I have the same hope. Of course, I have that hope. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I don't know how it plays out, but I, I, I think you're right that the will would be there the will of the people to to carry this team on their shoulders if if they were to do something significant um it would be amazing yeah it, it would be very amazing i'm, I'm waiting for that for that day Merta, Just 10, 10 11 days yeah thank you as ever uh i know you're in a car um, hidden in a car doing this uh, uh, in the middle of your day. I appreciate the time you took and, and your perspective is all, always valuable to us. Thank you for this, man. You're welcome, Jian. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Bye-bye. Bye.
Thought that never changes remains a stupid lie It's never been quite the same No hearing or breathing, no movement, no colour, just silence This is a special edition of Rook, episode 214, The Uprising. I'm Gian Gomeshi. My final guest today is an Iranian documentary photographer and filmmaker who's also currently a senior lecturer at the Department of New Media of Nishantashi University in Turkey. Nafisim Mutlaq started her career as a photojournalist in Iran before having to leave to be able to do the kind of work she had aspired to and lived and worked in Malaysia uh, for many years and received her PhD in mass communications. She is currently working on a new documentary. I met up with Nafisim a few days ago on the waterfront on the European side of Istanbul near the Galata Bridge. Uh, if you hear some noises, there are the crowds and the boats around us. This is our conversation about the Iranian Revolution of 2022 from the proximity and perspective of an Iranian in Turkey. It's really nice to see you here. Thanks for doing this. You've been a journalist, uh, an academic. You've lived in different parts of the world. There's an interesting paradox that seems to emerge with Istanbul in the sense that people come from Iran to get away from Iran but they come here to be somewhere that seems like Iran and even has some of the same laws that they don't like when they were in Iran. Talk to me about experiencing that paradox. You know, I've heard this a lot from Iranians that when they, since they live here, I mean, when they live here, they feel like they are in Iran plus plus. <laughs> like, they, uh, it seems that what makes them leave Iran is a social freedom first. Economic-wise, Turkey is not in a good condition. Many of, I don't know, religion-wise and other culturally. But uh, the social freedom is the first thing that Iranians feel more comfortable here. Uh, and they feel like, okay, we are in Iran, but we are more free. That's, that's I think, this is what I've heard. You can most. wear a skirt, you can dance in the club, club you can drink. Yes, and that's right. That's really right. But then when it comes to expression, and freedom of expression and dissent, no, no. it's actually more the, like the, Iran the, than it is like the West-West. Exactly. The, the level of freedom that people like demand is different. Maybe for a journalist, Turkey is not a really good place. This is not the freedom that they are expecting. But uh, maybe for uh, like normal people, the way, I mean, this is the freedom they want. They want to wear what they want. They want to drink and express themselves the way, the way they want. And it seems that Turkey responded. And yet it's a strange moment when there's a revolution happening uh, an hour away from here by flight, right? Yes. I have to ask you about something I've been talking about all week, which is how strange it is to come here from a place like Toronto, where on any given day right now, in any part of the city, you might see billboards of Mass Amini, public active support, even from politicians, for the movement in Iran, for the revolution. To come to a place that's this close to Iran, with this many Iranians here, 500,000 to a million, and to see pretty much nothing, how should I make sense of that? Well, I think you sh we should look at it in two different ways. Yes, maybe if you, when you walk in the street, in Istanbul or other cities, you don't see the sign. And because of the political restrictions, Iranian cannot uh, express themselves here in Istanbul as much as they want. 
but I believe that you compare Turkey with Canada, I compare the people of Turkey with Canada. People here are so supportive. I see the support from lots of ordinary people and also very famous people, influential people, artists, stars, uh, activists of course. And uh, to be honest, maybe I don't see the sign here. Maybe I don't, I cannot participate in uh, protests regularly in Istanbul. But when I talk to people, I feel that they feel our pain much better. Mm. And, uh, and I receive personally, I receive lots of support, whether from university and the grocery man in the street and the taxi driver. Is it different now? Because they is know it the different, context. Is it different in these two months than yes. it was a year ago or two exactly. years ago? Tell me much, how it's different. Much. I mean, they open up the dialogue. This is, this is what makes me really happy that uh, because the pain is the same. You know, we are maybe in different level with different some differences, but they understand what uh, is the how is the situation in Iran and what why we don't want and uh, how does it look like? How does it feel to be killed by morally police because of your hijab? Because it didn't happen in Turkey yet, but they smell it. They know that it could happen. I, they don't see that, they don't say that, but they feel our pain. And I feel in, in Turkey, to be honest, especially in Istanbul, uh, with the people, uh, I feel much more connected and I feel so sympathy and empathy, you know. Much but, more connected than yes. what? I mean, I, I, you compare it with uh, other countries in the West. Germans, Of course, they, because of regulation, they allow you to do protests, yeah. but how hard it is to engage people real people like go to the street well, to go a, to the bar and talk about Iran how many people would respond but here they may open the discussion if you when you tell them that I'm Iranian they ask you they, they want to be updated how is the situation now and they themselves opened up the discussion mm. about I don't know politics and religion and this and that and that's really great I, I these points are really really important and they're um, enlightening and kind of refreshing to hear but surely there is a difference between a country where the Prime Minister is walking alongside Ahmed Ismailiun yeah. and a place where you're not allowed to hold a sign that's written in Persian yeah. right but so but, but you have people here I mean you I mean why why people are doing protests in the street that they want to do bring protests? awareness to support yes, the kids in they Europe. already aware <laughs> well that's an interesting one because I've talked to a few people this week and I, got, I had two different answers one that as you say and you're not the first person to say it there's been wonderful support from Turkish people here basically saying you're our sister you're our brother we you know we're with you um, especially with regards to the revolution and, and probably some kind of empathy that you're talking about this could happen here on the other hand there's people who've told us it's not very much in the Turkish news you don't see that much about what's going on in Iran. And that in conversations they've had anecdotally with non-Iranians here, Turkish folks, others, they don't know anything about what's going on, which is shocking because it's so close to here. So I hear these two things and I don't know which no, one my to personal, believe. My personal experience that I can share uh, is that yeah, at the very beginning, the first two weeks before the speech of Professor Khamenei, the news here, like, boom, it was every day, long 
uh, news on TV, national TV. They were talking, they were analyzing the system. But then I cannot, I cannot for sure say why, <laughs> but for some political reason perhaps, uh, they somehow limited because they see something is happened inside Turkey, among Turkish. They didn't expect that much of reaction themselves. Uh, and you know what is the difference? Because we are close, we are neighbors, and uh, I don't need, nobody needs, we can even try right now, randomly, talking to people. They, you don't need to remind them the rev uh, Iran before revolution. Mm. Many of them, they already know. Right. They follow They're not it. in Kentucky yeah, with no idea yeah, what a Persian is. Right. 40 years ago, we right. had a revolution. Now, these things, they know how the, uh, the history, the background history. And because uh, millions, thousands, hundreds of thousands of Iranians are living here, many of them are traveling here. So each and every Turkish people had this time of speaking and conversation with Iranian different classes. Mm. They see them everywhere, in the restaurant, in the shops, in the uh, concerts and all that. So uh, they already know who are Iranian and what situation they are and what is the background. So having part, of course, the protest would be beneficial for us to express ourselves, you know, to like feel connected with the rest of the world. But to be honest, I don't think that Iranian missed something but by this restriction. Yes, I cannot say oh, it's good that uh, not have it. Well, listen, I, let, me, let me say a couple things. One, we've interviewed, we've had a series where we're interviewing young people on the front lines inside Iran. Young women in Mashhad, Shiraz, Tehran. Um, they tell us, because I've asked them this question on the air, you know, they tell us it makes a difference to them that people are, no, no, 100,000 no, people turn another. up in Berlin. Oh, no, so it does, it does mean something, right? Of course, of course. That's but, why I ask you why you are doing protests. And uh, your answer was to inform people. I said this, oh, they are already people. But yes, if you, if you are doing protests to show the unity, to support each other in a bigger scale, of course, we it miss means that something. opportunity. Yes, yes. We miss that opportunity because of the number of Iranians and Turkish people who are willing to join. You know, many right. of these protests, right. as you know, they were uh, guided, leaded by Turkish people, right. you know? Well, that, well, yeah, that's because that's how they had to get permission. They couldn't get permission yes. otherwise. Let me ask you about your own emotions and feelings that you've, that have been inside you for the last couple of months, because you're someone who has your own history with this regime. You're a, you're a journalist, you're a photojournalist. You, uh, almost 20 years ago, basically had to leave Iran because you couldn't do the kind of work you wanted to do there. Go to Malaysia, you come here. Um, how do you feel when you see what's what's going on in yeah. Iran with these young people and the fact that it's not stopping, that it just, that it really feels like this is the revolution? Today is the fifth, 50th day of the revolution. <laughs> uh, and I would say in the last 50 years, I'm not in a very normal status of mindset. Last 50 <laughs> like, days. Uh, yeah, 50 days. Yeah. Like when even people simply asking me, how, how, are, how are you, Nafisa? Like it's a mixture of being sad, being really sad, and at the same time, very hopeful and optimistic. Something amazing is, amazing is happening in Iran, but covered with blood and suppression and violence. So like, this is my feeling. Yeah. I'm, 
I'm so sad about what is happening in Iran. I'm so worried about many friends, families. All, all my families and friends are, are still in Iran. Uh, but at the same time, I'm so hopeful for the future because I see the bright past. I, mm, I know yes. that it, it does not go yes. somewhere wrong. No, it, does, it can't go somewhere wrong because people have reached, it's not about a political incident, it's not a protest after an election, it's not a protest because of the, uh, I don't know, uh, directly for politics. People are screaming, I mean they are demanding for uh, freedom, personal freedom. Yeah. They have targeted the right. Yeah point this time yeah. uh, and nothing can stop them even they invited for dialogue and conversation they said no they said I mean no 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 this yeah. this is the this is what we want regime change and for the first time for the first because when you look at the other uh, the previous protests they were 99 divided. Green Movement Aubon. exactly they were divided like different classes of society when I went back home when I was a student 20 years ago, uh, it was during the re reformist yeah. time. As a student, it was our routine to go to protest. Mm. But even my, my uncle didn't know about this protest. It was limited to students and like... Mm, and you weren't necessarily saying death of the dictator. No. Right? No. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember sometimes one or two people were saying even this is too much, right. you know, right. we just want to reform. And it is good, I'm not regret about that. If, if today is, I mean, what is happening today is the result of all the yeah. options that we had, yeah. which we have tried all Reformism the had to fail peaceful. to get to this. Yeah. Yes, yeah. we have done all the peaceful, we have used all the peaceful and democratic tools and uh, now this is the result because they have tried. There is no, I, we wish we would do that. What if we, we've done that? We have tried all of that. And now this is what people concluded. And what, what I tried to point to was that previous uh, protests were divided class in, in different classes of society, whether you were like in uh, workers or early, uh, more cultural or this and that, Polit it was political or economic, but this time, you know, in my heart melts when I hear the slogan Azan Zendegi Azadi, Woman Life Freedom, from different accents, different dialogues, Kurdish, Turkish, Baluch, Azari, Far, South, East, North, Young, uh, Old, you know, that, that revolution makes us more united. Mm. More united and like, uh, there are lots of potential. And um, of course, we are so, uh, disappointed of them even few I mean in every regime there are few groups that maybe they think better they are wiser whatever yeah. they can they didn't see that they didn't see this what they can do with yes. that energy and the potential uh, so when I see this unity and at the same time uh, I, I um, analyze the content of the artworks coming from Iran mm. you know yeah. because there is the photographers are not allowed to be in the street uh, officially. Uh, so illustration becomes the expression, the visual expression of people. Uh, and uh, like previous time, you would see the well-known artists, you know, established cartoonists and all, they were in charge of illustrating, you know. Uh, 
but now no, even students of art, you know, non-well-known non people are expressing themselves without any policy behind. Mm. Um, they are expressing themselves. I, I, I try to look at the artworks and I compare it with previous one. In the previous uh, uh, protest, they were, they were uh, illustrating the protesters as uh, being suppressed, victim, uh, as, as a victim mm. of the system. They were asking for, pray for Iran, help Iran, we stuck here, we, we are we stuck here, right. you know? But this time from day one, day one, they illustrated everything and themselves, they even ignored 20% of hundred artworks you could see any sign of the suppressors wow. any military any mullah or something they were all just focusing on themselves empowerment and and it was like i'm giving you some person 95 more than 95 percent of the artwork was only one woman standing tall calm and confidence no violence tool so they were expressing for i mean they were demanding for their own freedom of uh, individual freedom yeah. And that's a big difference. I mean, uh, they have won already in their mind. It's just... And how do we get there? The rest. Was the 43 years necessary experience, to get to the... Experience. Yes. We have experience compared to countries that we can compare ourselves with, economic-wise, politically, religion, culturally. Yeah. Iranian, in these 40 years, they go through a very difficult, challenging, abnormal situation and conditions. And the experience that we have from the role of religion, what, what should we do, how it works, the function and everything, about the politics, about culture, education. You know, this young generation, TikTok generation that leading this uh, revolution are, this, are the children of my generation, yeah. a little bit older. Uh, but uh, they have different horizon. As you said, they, they stand in our, on our shoulder. They see yeah. different horizons. Yeah. And they are so well aware of what they yeah. want. Because in the rooms, they, are, they grow up it's different from my... The first time that I connected to internet, I was 19 year old. Mm. My first email and, and I was so tech-navy and uh, na um, savvy. Yeah, savvy, Sa savvy. Like I was the first weblog, um, I, I, one of the first weblog writers or everything, all the social media, I was the first. But 19 year old, so I, what was my concept, my, uh, my Im imagination of the world? But for, they, from the very young age, in their room, they are connected, yeah. they are playing with someone from Japan or yeah. Brazil or America, they have better understanding yeah. of what they want. And in one sentence... And who they can be. Yes, in one sentence, if, if I want to tell, if I want to say that what we have reached, Iranian, to me, are transferring from collectivism culture to individual culture. They are, I mean, this is very obvious. People are not on the easily, then, even right now, one of the issues is who is the leader? Who is the leader? And it seems that people cannot easily decide this is not happening. This was not happening 40 years ago. 40 years ago, the revolution happened in a time that we had only 35 million people 13 million of them couldn't write and read. You know, and the culturally, religiously, they were in different uh, condition. But now, the, the Iranian 60, more than 60% of universities are women. 
you know, when I was in Malaysia after Ahmadinejad, second, uh, you know, green movement, many Iranians moved to Malaysia, 100,000 of Iranians. They were coming from the cities that if you show me, I didn't know where it's located even. But you let know? me flip it on its head because maybe, or maybe I'm not totally understanding what you're saying. Yeah. Because for me, it seems like the opposite. It seems like a culture that has been notoriously individualistic, sometimes due to separate divide and conquer, um, a culture that, you know, I've always joked about how in the Olympics, the only medals we get in Iran is like one guy weightlifting or somebody fighting yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, right. We don't win any collective that medals. You know? Right. I feel teamwork. That's been a problem for Iran. I feel like now teamwork is happening. I feel like we've gone from the individual to the collective, at least as a diaspora, in a way that I've never seen in my lifetime. Uh, no, so, yeah. am I misunderstanding your point? I think maybe Probably. I have to. Okay. I have to rephrase myself, or maybe we should reach to the same definition of collectivism <laughs> right. culture right. and individual. What what I mean about collectivism culture, like being in Asia, I understood what is collectivism culture. It means that your identity, your identity, who you are, is depend on what is your race, what is your ethnicity, what is your nationality, what is your religion. This comes first. You are behind these titles, and so you, in the community, you are you you introduce yourself with these titles first. So easily for any kind of movement or something, you look who is your tribe. I'm I'm supporting my tribe. Right. Your tribe can be religion based right. or na racial based, nationality based, whatever. What is happening in Iran? Each and every Iranian. Are they what they own? This is individual. This is something happened in Europe too. After they, uh, so this is what I mean. This I is got what, you. And, and I really happy. This is very important because not. I hope after this experience, nobody can easily uh, makes Iranian united against another group, and that is why we are very. You know, I I can imagine like 40 years ago some figures that who are now loud speaking they can easily stole the heart of people but now people are saying no okay you are so cool what yes. is your plan yes and yes. i'm not voting to you i'm not uh, there's a collective you. wisdom and wisdom um, yes and people are keeping each other in check yes in an unbelievable this way this is very very important yeah. for future of yeah. iran i feel like there's a global community kind of of iranians as well as people inside iran who are leading it um kind of almost obviously there's exceptions to this i don't want to create fantasies here but who are almost ethically keeping each other in check yeah. anybody who for example oh wants to this? demonstrate that they're or wants to anyone who shows that they're trying to exploit this revolution for <laughs> advertising <laughs> or mindset, yeah they're not allowed to yeah. people will call it out and collectively shame them it's very them. very important yeah, yeah that's that's right really, i really love it i didn't expect this that's why i even with all my, um, I'm the one. I'm I'm one of those who were keep telling everybody that something is happening in Iran. Something is changing in Iran. Every time I visit, I see. But I didn't know that it's reached the literacy of people, political literacy of people, have reached to that. Uh, uh, lay, I don't know. Uh, that people check each other. The moral. I mean, don't say that. Don't publish the violence. Yes. And people listening, I remember like people were um, publishing map of Iran without the uh, two seas, Caspian Sea yes. and the Persian Gulf, and there were lots of 
comment. Okay, don't forget. Uh, you know things like that. You know, it's, it's, it, I mean, I every day I'm again of 24 hours. I'm on I'm checking the yeah. news and everything, and I really. Uh, that's why make, that makes me hopeful. Because no matter what political system comes, no matter what economic plan they have, at the end we need people and human resource in Iran because of the situation and because there was nothing else to do except education. And like Ahmadinejad makes us educated because many yes, people, yeah. many people, many people left Iran and the only way to live was to, to continue your education. And what is happening, exactly the same generation who left Iran during, after Ahmadinejad ended up in the very key positions in, especially in Europe, yeah. like we, we are now having, we have a generation who knows how the world system works politically, economically, they can they can go to this parliament, okay, this party in this certain country idea is like this, so we can do this. In technology now, that now the, the, the greatest achievement of human right now is the James Webb. And there is a girl there, Iranian girl, graduated from Shahid Beishti, yeah. Tehran University. And she is there. The, the mayor of the um, Germany, the two uh, minister of the uh, Nor Norway, uh, yes. I don't know, the parliament, yes, and yes, all, yes, lots yes. of. And I always think that if only 5% of the experience inject to Iran, 5%, yes. I don't need them even physically live their uh, comfort uh, life. But just 5% of the experience inject to Iran, Iran boom. Because You're part people of that too. are ready. You're part of that too. I'm ready too. <laughs> um, let me ask you a couple of personal questions before we end off. Everyone I've spoken to, I think almost every Iranian I've spoken to in the last couple of months, has said that they have been crying or have cried at some point. Sometimes it's weird. I, looking at a picture of a crowd in Berlin, why is that making me cry involuntarily? Have you been crying? Yes. Tell me yes. what you've cried about. I cried because I didn't know that we are that connected. That I, I saw that unity because they separate us in different levels. And we forget, we forget how we, how, how much we need each other, how much, how, the pain that we are suffering together, separately, <laughs> you know, and uh, that demonstrate that demonstration and uh, what is happening in Iran, the bravery, of course, makes me emotional. Of course, makes me responsible. I feel this, I feel this responsibility that, that I mean? have do, I have done whatever I can and to talk to people, write, read and share. You know, this is, this is what I have, whatever I can. To inform people, foreigner, Iranian, whoever, because this cannot, we, we, we cannot go back. It's funny, I was gonna ask you what made you, what's been making you cry and what's inspired you, but it sounds like it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, oh, that is a good kind. It's, it was not crying out of desperation. Yeah. Uh, you know, like they keep, they were keep talking us about the separation, Iran separation, Tajzia. And uh, now, uh, you know, it's, it was, I got really emotional when uh, in, uh, in Kurdistan, part of Iran, they were chanting Janjian Azadi, 
few days later, uh, in Azeri uh, Islam, I mean, language, they were supporting, and then someone insists on this. And I remember the moment that I just remember, just two years ago, it was three years before pandemic, uh, uh, an earthquake happened in Kurdistan. People were not, they were not waiting for government. They know that they were useless. With their own private car, they were tr uh, trying to go and help. And, la and later there was a big flood happening in Zahedan. And people were like supporting Zah So where were those uh, separation? Yeah. And like, you, go, you know, you ask Iranian about Mahsa Amini. They may know, they may say, yes, she is a Kurdish girl. But the last thing they would say is she is Sunni. The last thing, it even is, is not even uh, polite. They, is, they don't, I mean, Sunni Shia, what is the difference? But you go to different countries and you see, oh, this is very serious, the Shia Sunni things, but not with people. Well, that's a perfect segue into a final question, which is that, and I want to tap into the, both the academic but the journalist side of you, because you haven't just been a journalist, but you've been a journalist in the East, yeah. in Muslim countries, yes. in Malaysia, I, All Iran. my life lived in Muslim countries. Uh, and without getting into the weeds of which journalists are reformists and this type of uh, stuff, I'm, I'm curious if you were to say one thing that you would like the West, the Western media, to understand about Iran, to understand about this region that you think they usually get wrong, what would it be? You know, I, I explain myself with, a, with, a, with an example. Like, have you noticed we have here and there Islamic museum? Yes. What is Islamic museum? Do we have Christian museum? Do we have Buddhism museum? Do we have... I think so, don't hurt there. No, no, we don't have Christian museum. We have museum of this country and that country. This era of... Uh, or, but... This is the, I mean, this is something that I don't understand about uh, the method of uh, studying of Middle East through, from Western point of view. I mean, you cannot, in a museum, collect a vest, a carpet, a fabric from um, Egypt, one carpet from Iran, one vest from Turkey, and they say, these are Islamic. Right. This is easy. I, I think that they've done it because it was easy to understand. Right, right. This categorization of things to understand, it's it been happening all this time. What what worries me? It is, I don't think that they are doing. They are mean to. They don't. They mean to do that or something. No, it, it's happening. They are repeating it. It works for them. But what I worry is that uh, what I'm worried and concerned is in Middle East especially after social media and digitalization and all things, many things are changing very fast yes. in different levels. And we don't document them, we don't see them. Things are changing and we are still in the same story of explaining the pain. The explaining the pain is true, but it's half of it. But this change, this dynamic change, it has not been documented because it's, it does not fit to that story, to that canalization of information. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to have consequences. And that, and that is what I'm worried about. Because the information is not circulating in the right, accurate way. 
You know what I mean? Of course, part of it is because of the restriction of politics and all that. But you've been a documentary filmmaker. You know, we've been journalists. We know which type of stories in from which angle works. Yes. We have a chance to say, which is true, but have part of, you know, Mevlana. <laughs> Let's go to Mevlana. Our Mevlana said something very beautiful that changed my life, I could say. Like, maybe 20 years ago I've heard this. He, he said that the truth is a mirror that fallen from the sky and broken to countless pieces. Everyone just pick one pieces, look at themselves. Oh, this is the truth. I'm the truth. Right, right. Why the truth is distributed, you know, is shared with people. If I paste my piece of truth to you, we're gonna have a bigger portion of the truth, you know? And I, I, I also love it. This changed my life because that, that's the time. That was the time that makes me like really enjoy the diversity. Thanks for doing this. All right, that was a conversation in Istanbul, Turkey, near the Galata Bridge. There, right on the water, with Nafise Mutlak. That was just from a few days ago. Uh, this is full time for Rook for today. Thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you to everybody out there who's supporting what we do here uh, and you can go to our website rookmedia.com for any information about us about our mission about our um, previous episodes different programs uh, about how you can support us as well rookmedia.com thanks to the amazing team who put this show together uh, Savvy Roham Talented Anahita Parisa Pega Meritad and Shaya thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content please subscribe if you haven't done so already, find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. See you on the demonstrations. Mizun Bashing.